0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages, at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Some of the greatest words ever spoken. With a word spoken from the cross by Jesus. In conclusion is a series where we're going to look at some of those sayings. We won't be able to deal with all of them. But we're going to be able to deal with the ones that hopefully and prayerfully will set you free. And will change this season. It's one of my favorite seasons. It's like Christmas to me. And, and the reason is, is because this is the year we're together for Easter. And this is the year we get to be back. This was the first day we had to be out. I don't know if you remember that, but one year ago, we weren't here, or I was, but you weren't here. And it's not near as fun when you're not here, trust me. But it it really was different. But because of this past year, man, we've gotten to see so much, the online community, God bless you. I was a part of the online community for so many weeks, and we have just seen this incredible gift that you are. And I just think it took something like we've been through to really recognize the incredible opportunity we have with you and the blessing that you are to First Baptist. So I want you guys in the room. Can you just help me thank the online community because they have been faithful all the way through this time? And, and we've seen, seen God work in amazing ways, but we're together, and I'm going to get to do something this morning that I haven't done all year for one year, and that is we have the kneelers. I'm gonna, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to invite you to come and pray and, and come to the altar, Okay. That's simply an invitation. There's also an opportunity today to go to Welcome Center A or B to an area we call Connections and have a face-to-face spiritual conversation with somebody. it be the first time that we've actually opened it up for that kind of thing. So I think today is a very special day. And let me tell you another reason. When I got here this morning, before the first service started, I'm just kind of walking around. And I was over here, I was walking down this aisle, and a man who, he actually used to be on staff here, and just a godly man. I love him. He and his wife, he, uh, he, he motioned for me to come, and I went over to him. He said, hey, the Lord spoke to me in the night, and the Lord told me that today at church was going to be very special. And he, didn't no, he had no idea what I was going to be talking about. He had no idea what the series was. I mean, it, this was not preempted in any way with, with special information. He just said, I don't know what it's about, but I know the Lord told me it's going to be a great day. Let me tell you why it's going to be a great day. Because we're talking about the cross. And we're talking about what happened on the cross that changed our life forever. Forever. And I believe it is because of the cross that every day is a great day. But especially when we hear the words of Jesus. Now think about it. He wasn't the only one that died on a cross. You realize the Romans loved using a cross. In fact, someone did the math and we believe they probably crucified 500 a day. So it was, it was just like, it was very common. In fact, when Jesus was born, in the year that he was born, there was an occasion where 2,000 Jews were crucified on the same day. So it's not that it is unusual to die on a cross. What is unusual is what he said and how it all happened. It was not an ordinary death. And I think, when I read the story of Jesus, when I think about what he did from the cross, I kind of re- reminded Philip Yancey what he said. He said, the number one reason that I'm a Christian is Jesus. There's nobody like him. Nobody's ever done for you what Jesus did for you. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about that moment. And I want you to think about the cross, those six hours from 9 o'clock in the morning Until three in the afternoon, creation cried. Creation cried. It wasn't just a moment outside the city of Jerusalem. Literally, the entire creation was a witness that there was something happening that was profound. In fact, go back to the text, and you'll see it on the screen here with me. Mark 15 says that when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. You realize they believed that when there was darkness that covered the earth, that was a sign that something big was happening, a sign that there was something going on. I would agree. If it goes dark here at noon, I, I'm, I'm going to be calling you. Hey, what's going on? Tell me about it. Seriously, it's, it was huge. The philosophers used to say that it was going to be this sign of a new age. Indeed, it was. You know what else happened during that darkness? The prophecy was fulfilled. Amos, 600 years before, a prophet had said, this is going to happen on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I love the way it says it. I'm going to darken the earth in broad daylight. And believe me, there's only one who tells the sun where to stand. His name is Jesus. And he, on that day, spoke from that darkness. Now, wait a minute. Before we get what he says, you know what else happened? Rocks began to explode. The earth began to shake. Listen to this from Matthew 27. The earth shook, the rocks were split, and the tombs were also open, and many who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, you might could have handled the earth shaking and the rock splitting open, but let me tell you, when that brother walks out of the grave and comes down your street, you would have said, okay, well, we got something happening here, right? I, that's when I'm out. I'm gone. What in the world? It was an unbelievable day. So, you can't hear all that and think it was just an ordinary death. No, it wasn't, because he was not an ordinary man. And what he had done was not ordinary. It was as if his words from the cross were announcing this incredible new beginning. It was like all things were being made new. It was like Jesus was saying, I love you. And then Jesus cried from the cross. Of all the things he could have said... Out of that darkness, in that moment, with the earth literally giving testimony, there was something big happening. Of all the things he could have said, he says something that just, you, you just have to sit in amazement. So let me set it up for you. Luke chapter 23, story is told of the two criminals who were on either side of him. They are railing against him, one of them in particular. There are people beneath him who are literally casting dice or lots in the day to divide up his garments. They are mocking him. There are Pharisees there that are mocking him, saying, aren't you going to save yourself? Why don't you save us? I mean, there was incredible disrespect. And in that moment... I'll quote the verse in that moment the first thing out of his mouth father forgive them they know not what they do father forgive them well let me tell you what's shocking about that now, first of all father he doesn't call him judge he doesn't call him the creator He doesn't call him the sustainer of all the earth and all creation. He calls him Father. It's out of relationship that Jesus cries out to his Father, which is this most beautiful picture of what he came to do for us so that we too can pray our Father who art in heaven. And when he says Father, he doesn't say, Father, burn them up. Get them. Destroy them. No, he doesn't ask the father to punish them. He asks the father to forgive them. I mean, how, how crazy is that? He asked the father to forgive them. You see, there most people have a view of God that he's a judge waiting to punish them when the reality is he is a father who is waiting to forgive you. Maybe if we got our understanding of God and who He is and what He's about right, we would be a lot more effective for Him and love Him a lot more. He says, Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. What does that mean? They didn't comprehend it. How could they know what they were doing? How could they know that their sin had put Him there? How could they understand the gravity of sin? We don't even understand it. I can tell you when you sin, you're crazy. You're crazy. You know why? Because you are hurting one who loves you more than he loves anything else. And he loves you more than anybody else loves you. And to break his heart is almost the most illogical thing to do. And yet we do it all the time. So, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing is right. We're not always aware. We don't always understand. In fact, I don't think they understand the love of God. They didn't understand the love of God. They didn't realize as they're crucifying, He's doing that for you. And they didn't realize they were a part of a plan that God had already purposed that, that Jesus should be crucified. You see, what's amazing to me is that God had been loving mankind from the very beginning, Everything in the Bible is a story of God's love for man. He loves and loves and loves. And we kept bringing somebody else to prom. And so finally, there's his son. And the words out of his son's mouth, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I love the quote by John R. W. Stott. When he talks about the cross, he says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. We were there. It was our sin that took him to the cross. So let's answer the question. Who's he talking about? Father, forgive them. Was he talking about those criminals on either side of him? Or are the guys hanging out beneath the cross making fun of him? Yes. 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 Was he talking about us? Yes. He was talking about all mankind. He was talking about every human who would ever draw breath. He was talking about every human who would ever sin, which is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me, let me just see if you can wrap your mind around this. It was every person who has ever sinned on the planet or ever will sin. That's who he's talking about. Father, forgive them. Let me show you. Let me prove. Isaiah, some 700 years before, had said there's going to be a moment where somebody's taking our pain. Somebody's taking our suffering. And he gave us this glimpse into Jesus 700 years before the day he died. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, not his, our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, I believe that's talking about us. I believe it's a prophecy 700 years before Jesus died. And now 2,000 years from that day, that he was referring to every one of us sitting in this room, every one of you streaming. Did he know you were going to be streaming? Yes. Did he know that you were going to be born and alive at this time? Yes. And I'll show you one more place. That's the prophecy out of Isaiah. Let me show you a confirmation in Hebrews, a New Testament book, where the writer of Hebrews basically says, hey, it's done. He did it. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which, by the way, can never take away sins. Remember that. Then he says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you realize how big that statement is. The fact that Jesus' death accomplished for all time all that was needed to forgive sin. And so he is sitting at the right hand of God. If there was something left to do to forgive you of your sin, Jesus wouldn't be sitting down. He's sitting down because it's done. His one moment of suffering on the cross those six hours that Friday changed history forever it's changed the past it will change the future and now for all time it is affecting those who are being sanctified is a big word for saved that's what he did that day he died for all of us and you know what God didn't leave it just with words He gave us a picture. I love the fact that God, he loves objects. And and Jesus, when he taught, he would always pick a, like a grapevine and talk about the vine, or he'd pick wheat out of a field and talk about it. Well, in this case, it happened to be a veil in the temple. Do you know what happened on that Friday? Maybe even in that period of darkness, you know what happened in the temple? The scripture says in Mark 15, and the veil, the curtain of the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what was that veil? Well, if you know anything about biblical history, you know that veil was what separated a holy place where a holy God would be and then where sinful man would gather. And it had to be there because sinful man could not come in and defile a holy place. It goes all the way back to the tabernacle days. I mean, it's all the way through Solomon's temple, even in the reconstruction in Jesus' time of that temple. It's there. And let me show you how big it is, because this veil has got to keep God protected from people like us. Let me show you how big that veil was. Go from this corner of the stage to that corner of the stage. That's how wide it was. Okay? You want to know how high it was? You see the speaker up there? That speaker is 40 feet from this platform. The veil was 80 feet, double that. That's how tall it was. And let me show you how thick it was. Seven inches thick seven inches of solid woven material. And there was a special way that they would have it, you know, woven. I just think it's an incredible thing hanging. And don't use your blinds, I mean, or your little curtains hanging in your living room. When you see the word curtain in the New Testament, it is a massive, massive curtain. And it was there so that this holy place could not be defiled by a sinful person even even once a year only one person could go in there and that was the high priest and he had to go through all kinds of stuff to even be able to go in and they would even tie rope on his leg so that if he got in there and he passed out people could pull him out so a sinner would not walk in there and defile that place so what do you think it means when God reaches down and takes that veil and he just rips it from the top to the bottom, wouldn't you like to heard the sound of that ripping and tearing seven-inch-thick veil? What's God saying? You know what he's saying? Hey, all you sinners, come on in. All of you sinners, come on in. Why? Because Jesus made a way for us. Hebrews says, listen to this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the what? Blood of Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians, something very much like it, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You see, the reason that that, curtain was torn to invite us in. It's not because we got better all of a sudden. No, the truth of it is we are all sinners. The Bible says all of us have sinned. But what happened was there was somebody who took our place and through his death made a way for us to come into the presence of the one who created the heavens and the earth and to have a relationship with him like a friend walking every day with him, enjoying his fellowship, enjoying his grace, enjoying his beauty. And it all happened because Jesus cried, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. How about a a thank you for what he did to make a way for us to come? It's incredible. We didn't grow up with the temple. We didn't grow up in that system, but to think about what that had to say. Come on. You're welcome. You know what the number one, I would put this as the number one emotion or feeling for anyone who is physically in a church, and I will say it's for those streaming as well. The number one emotion I'm not good enough to be here, I don't feel worthy. If I had to pick what is the number one thing people have said to me within the context of a worship experience, it's usually, man, I just, I don't feel worthy of that. I don't feel worthy. And I'm not going to say there's something wrong with that feeling. I mean, that's a sense of of our sin and a sense of our brokenness. But let me tell you what's wrong with it. What's wrong with it is somebody took took your place and opened the gates wide and is saying, come on in, so quit acting like you're not worth it evidently you were worth it that he would give his life for you and as a ransom, as a new and living way to open it up for you to come. So if you ever say, But I don't belong here. What you're really saying is, Jesus, you didn't do enough. Are you going to really look at Jesus and say, you didn't do enough? Are you going to look at him and say, well, you should have, uh, uh, maybe they should have tortured you longer and then that would make a way for me. No. No, what he did opened a new and living way. And every one of us in this room, though we may be the most messed up people and messed up sinners on the planet, we are welcome here. Why? Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace and the love of God. You belong. You are welcome here. So when when he cries, Father, forgive them. God just said, I'll give you a little sign to show you that I heard you cry. And he tears the veil. So now, what do we do? We're forgiven. So how does that work? Well, the Bible makes it clear. Number one, confess your sin. What does it mean to confess? It means admit it. It means own up to it. Yep. You cheated on income tax? Tell him. He knows it. Okay? Okay. You did something without your wife knowing, and you know better, and you should have told her, he knows it. Anytime you go to God and say, God, I just need to confess something, he goes, thank you, I already knew. I already knew. You're not going to give him any new information. You realize that, right? So what does it mean to confess? It means you finally get an agreement with him. God, I don't, I don't want to live that way. I don't want my life to go that way. And the second thing you do, and this is the best part, received his forgiveness notice I didn't say ask for it I'm sorry but ask for forgiveness is not the biblical witness you know why because it's already there it's already done if there was something left to be done to get your forgiveness Jesus would still be doing it but as it is, he died once for all mankind. And that one sacrifice has absolutely, totally made forgiveness available to everyone. So what do we do? Receive it. Right. Let me tell you let me how, how insane this is for us to act like we got to, oh, gosh, I got to earn it. No, you don't. It'd be like me saying, hey, by the way, I want to, uh, your rent, you're not ever going to have to pay rent again. I'm going to take care of all of it. Well, how many of you next month would write a checkout and send it to the landlord? No, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because it's done. It's done. Well, quit living like it's not done. It's done. What if you're out eating and somebody takes care of your meal and so the server comes and says, Hey, by the way, your meal's taken care of. And well, I know, but I need to pay. No, your meal's taken care of. Yeah. And you see the bill and you go, Oh gosh, I don't even think I've got money anyway. But you say, "Well, can I wash dishes to help pay?" Your check is already paid for. Quit acting like it's not. Or what about this? <laughs> you carry a check around. Do y'all know what a check is? Y'all remember checks? <laughs> you carry a check around your billfold, and you find it later, and it's like an unbelievable amount of money. And you're like, "Well, I, you know, I always knew it was there. I just, cash it." <laughs> Put it in the bank. Do something with it. Receive his forgiveness this morning. Quit living in guilt. Quit living with regret. Quit living like you are trying to earn somehow his love. He has already given you that. So what do you do? Just receive it. Let go of the guilt. You know what is a good way to do that? I, this is my personal opinion. Baptism. Baptism. I just think baptism does something for you to help you let go and to wash it away. Now, you don't have to be baptized more than once, but if you've not ever been baptized, after you confess that Jesus Christ was your Lord and Savior, then you haven't gotten to experience that beautiful moment when having declared He is my Lord, then you get to go in water and go under the water and come up, and it just feels so good. It washes all your sin away. I baptized a guy two years, three years ago. He sat in the 830 service every Sunday. Faithful, my goodness, he'd been in the same seat right over there. And I was walking by him one day, and and, and and I'd always go over to him. He was a great golfer. He was actually an air traffic controller for years. Had a stellar career with him. And and then he was just an incredible golfer, won club championships all the time. And, and I told him one day, I said, I I want you to take me to play. I'm horrible, but I would love to play with you. Just see, you know, how good you are because I've heard a lot about you. And he said, hey, let's do it. We're going to do it. And I love seeing him every, every Sunday. Well, COVID hit. Obviously, um, he hasn't been here. I buried him this past week. In fact, he's, he's home with Jesus. But here, here's what I want you to know. One Sunday when I was walking by there, he said, come here. I said, what is it? I want to be baptized. Now, I did not ask him this, but I thought it. How old are you? He was 85 when he asked me that. I said, well, absolutely. He said, I want to do it at the beach. I said, let's do it. And I have a picture in my prayer room, in my office, of me standing with him and his wife at Cocoa Beach when we baptized him. Now, why would a man, he became a Christian when he was young, but he, then he got baptized later. Why would he do that? Because he told me, I want to be obedient and I want to do exactly what Jesus taught us to do. And you know what? That moment changed him. And I'm just going to throw it out here. If you need to follow him in baptism, man, we got an outdoor baptistry that's beautiful. And we'll wait till the coldest day this spring, and we'll plan it for you. (laughs) Hey, we had somebody baptized this week. We had a young man, an athlete, that one of our men in the church has been discipling and baptized him on Thursday. We got a beautiful outdoor, we got a great, beautiful indoor (laughs) baptistry. It's absolutely wonderful. And you know what? We got a beautiful ocean called the Atlantic Ocean and it's an awesome place to baptize and we're doing that again this May. I'm just telling you, when the Bible says we ought to believe and be baptized, there's a reason for that. It's like I'm letting go and I'm getting rid of all this regret and all this stuff. So what do you do? You, you confess, Lord, this is it. And you receive the gift of forgiveness. The debt has been paid. And then you just let go of it. I mean, whether it's through baptism or you just don't think about it, you just say, I am, not, I am not guilty. I've already been forgiven, and I'm going to quit thinking about that. And then there's one more thing to do, and maybe the most important. Listen to me. You got to forgive others. That's right. You got to forgive others. This is the one thing I wish wasn't in the Bible. I hear people say that all the time. Man, I wish it wasn't there. You know what they're talking about? What Jesus said. The Bible teaches us that we are to forgive others just like he forgave us. And you're probably going, so we got to go get on a cross? I'm sure that would please some of the ones that we're needing to forgive. No, no, there's only one death that was needed. It's already done. But here's what you do. You forgive in the same way he forgave you. This is Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Very important words of Jesus. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Guys, I wish I could tell you Jesus was just kidding with us. There's a little JK that comes after that verse. Nope. He meant it. So maybe the reason forgiveness isn't real to you is because you haven't given it. You haven't offered it to someone the same way He offered it to you. And I'll be honest, it's tough. We're going to have a moment to come to the altar. I got on the I got at the altar this morning and got on my knees. And there's a situation that I have got to let go of. And and I just said, God, I. I I need you I don't know what I'm not sure how to do this you say man you you have situations like that yes all the time we had a man here a few minutes ago he comes down he's weeping he said I had no idea what David was gonna talk about he said I had a dream last night in my dream last night I saw my brother and I haven't talked to my brother I have so many issues with my brother because he said some things to my dad before my dad died that I know my dad died thinking that I was a pitiful guy and that I was not an honorable son. And he said, I just can't forgive my brother. And he said, last night in the dream, I'm at church, and I look up, and sitting over there is my brother. Now, this is his dream. It's my brother. And he said, I I saw him, and and he said, I, I wasn't sure what to do. I walked over to him, and he He looked cold, and I said, are you cold? And he said, yeah. And he said, the last thing I remember, I just reached out and put my hand on him. And then I get here this morning, and I hear about forgiveness. So you know what this man told us? He's headed out of state this week to go seek forgiveness and to offer forgiveness to his brother. So let me just say, I believe in a moment like this, everything that's so awesome about these words, Father forgive them, can be null and void in your life if you're not willing to forgive. So I want us to bow together. If you're in the room, if you just want to, you don't have to close your eyes. Just try to get your mind focused. If you're online with us, please just. Try to think about this here for a moment. Number one, do you need to let go of some sin in your life? Do you need to let go of sin in your life? Do you need to let go of something that's there? That that you just can't confess to God. You're so embarrassed and you feel like it's, God already knows. Confess it to Him. Just tell Him. And the second question is, there's there somebody you need to forgive? You probably don't have to think long. They come to mind just like that. You probably see them right now in your mind. How about today, forgiving them? See, I, I think, Lord, if you could help us do this. I know it's already been accomplished. It's already been done. We just got to quit living like it hasn't. And so today, we're not going to act like it hasn't been done. We're going to act like it has. And we're going to let go of our own sin. And we're going to forgive somebody else. And we do it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Now, let me tell you what happens when you do that. Let me show you a quote. This is by Lewis Meads. This is an unbelievable quote. When you forgive someone, you're dancing to the rhythm of the divine heartbeat. It's the heart of God. God invented forgiveness as the only way to keep his romance with the human race alive. Without forgiveness, there is no relationship, not with him, and not with anybody. But today, we heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.